<laughs> Gosh, John, I forget how good you are at karate. That's incredible. I know, man. I mean, it's all about the right belt. It is. Timing you know? or your leather belt. Exactly. I, I feel like maybe, is that not, that's what you meant. Not really, okay. but speaking of, oh, Dave, wow, I'm yeah, just yeah. going to try to transition to okay. save you. <laughs> Finally, Dave, Yeah. warm spring days are arriving. Oh, Am I gosh. right? Isn't it great? You know what? I need a new pair of shades that I don't have to baby. Do you know what I'm saying, John? I don't want to take care of them. Let me put them on, take them off, and not have to worry Look, about it. Hey, Dave, I know exactly Sorry. Sorry, what I didn't you mean. Sorry, I didn't mean to rant. Knock around is the solution. They've been making high-quality shades that don't break the bank okay. since 2005. Oh, wow. And they've actually been my personal go-tos for years. Oh, yeah. I love Knockaround, John. They have over 20 different frame styles, so there's something for everyone, including tons of kids' pairs. That's right. So whether you're looking to rep your favorite sports teams, mm-hmm. you know, like you're a sports guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> spend some relaxation time in the yard, yep. or cruise down Broadway with the windows down oh. like Dave does uh-huh. all the time. All the time. Every Tuesday and Thursday mm-hmm. and Saturday. Mm-hmm. Knock around. That's what you need. Yeah, yeah. All of their lenses have UV 400 protection, which is basically like sunscreen for your eyes, which, by the way, I've tried that, and it hurts. <laughs> Use the sunglasses, everybody. With polarized adult pairs starting at 28 bucks. you can get a few pairs to leave in your car, toss in your beach bag, or lend to a friend in need. Dave, that is such a good price I that I might buy a pair just to intentionally lose them. I don't love that logic, John, but I know, you do but have a history of misplacement. It's not around Don't fight me because like of the karate stuff. But it could so. be perfect for you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, Dadville fans, don't squint through family beach days yeah. or trips to the park. Check out knockaround.com and use the promo code DADVILLE15 for 15% off your order. That's DADVILLE15 for 15% off your order at knockaround.com. Yeah. Hi, I'm Dave Barnes. And I'm John McLaughlin. And welcome to Dadville. Dadville is a podcast where we talk about life, love, and the pursuit of awesome dadding. It's funny thoughts and deep talks. So please, enjoy your time here in Dadville and enjoy this episode with... Miles Atkins. Hey y'all, it's Dave from Dadville. Hopefully by now you know that Dadville is a wonderful, fun side gig for John and I as we're both actually singer-songwriters in our real life here in Nashville. And speaking of singer-songwriter, I wanted to tell y'all about my latest release, Remembering Greatest Hits Acoustic. Over the last few months, I've been releasing some of my favorite songs I've ever recorded, and you can hear them all right now. That's literally right now. It has been so fun hearing these stripped-down acoustic versions of songs that people know and love. These are the songs that helped me build my career, and I'm so excited to share them with y'all in a new way. So, if you can, and you will, and you want to, go check out Remembering Greatest Hits Acoustic, available now. Okay, everybody, we are, we, John, you're ready. I'm so ready. You're ready. Miles ready. is here. Miles, Miles Adcox. We, we've got Miles back, everybody. And this is... God, um, the hair. Man, is on point <laughs> I don't today. know how you've got more handsome. <laughs> here we go. I'm feeling more This insecure. is a podcast wow. with that hair. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I've got... I've got... What's the joke? Um, a face a, a face for radio. Face for radio, yeah. Um, yeah. That is a hair for Netflix. <laughs> HFN. HFN. <laughs> Got no response. Just a uh, you don't need to have. We, we talk yeah. enough for everybody. Um, okay, so so Miles has been on. You, I think you were John and I were talking about this. You were one of the first, probably like we said, maybe five to ten episodes we did, and not just one of the first ones, but I think we recorded that before we even like we were working with Annie and and that. Yeah, I mean, we had anything. like 
a year and a half where we were recording episodes and we just weren't putting them out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was, was a good sort of, little So I think we recorded time. your episode and then maybe a year later we put it out and then that's been two years ago. Yeah, now. yeah. So yeah. We're, we're, yeah, you could be, do you still live in Nashville? We don't even know if you're, <laughs> do you still um, go by mile? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was funny. I remember when it recorded and then a year, year and a half later when I got the message, Hey, your episode's yeah, coming out. Yeah. I had forgotten about that. We yeah, <laughs> recorded and I like, said, who's I've changed a lot as a dad in a year. What did I say? Yeah, I don't believe any of this anymore. Yeah. yeah. So for, for those who, who, uh, who haven't caught the first episode, here's a quick refresher. Just so you know a little bit more about miles. We jump in. Chairman and owner of OnSite, an internationally known emotional wellness lifestyle brand that delivers life-changing personal growth workshops, uh, digital mental health masterclasses, emotionally smart leadership retreats, and residential emotional wellness and trauma treatment. Miles' work at OnSite has been featured on 2020, Good Morning America, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Dr. Phil Show, The Doctor's People, Billboard, Dadville. What? That's awesome. We made one. There we got more. Um, <laughs> So, so the quick check-in is, I mean, since we've seen you, which again has been, you know, many a moon, many fortnights, now you have two kids, right? That's right. So at the time, I think you barely had one. Yep. Brand new dad. Brand new dad. Yeah. Yeah. So how is, how, how is life with two? Like, <laughs> what are the like, ages? Wow. And if you need to cry or nap, you can. <laughs> Both. Uh, three and five. Okay. Pretty much any question I have to say. How old are my kids? <laughs> yeah. Yes. What are their names? Yeah. Uh, no, I, I remember the first time I was pretty intimidated. I'm probably not any less intimidated. I always get a little intimidated with great communicators to, to come on and have a conversation. But now we know each other even better. Yes, so yes. this feels fun to be back. But the first time I was remembering that the, the podcast is called Dadville. I'm a brand new dad and thinking, what the heck do I have to offer? <laughs> and I knew I could lean on some of my, you know, training and my profession, but I thought, man, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. And what's interesting is five years into it, I'm just as humble today as I was mm -hmm. a few months into it. Uh, just learning every day. It is just what a ride, exhausted yeah. and thrilled and everything in between. Yeah. Yeah. And the phases I feel like change. So like, so my girls are seven and nine and yours are three and five. And I'm like, that is that's such a different uh, experience. Seven and nine compared to five, three and yeah, five is yeah, so different. Yeah. And like four and six was different. It's like it's changing a lot. So you you guys have uh, a kindergartner then? Yeah, or almost almost kindergarten. Yeah. Lower, lower school. I'm trying to remember how I told you. I'd be like, <laughs> this is literally one of you need to know that you are in amazing company with dads. Because listen, I feel like most we do we do a great job at a lot of things. The on-the-spot question of age or school is pretty much oh unanimously. Gosh. Everybody takes a okay, yeah. no, no. Okay, if they're she, it should, they're not in the same school. I do know that we have to go to two different schools. So. I know they live with us. <laughs> I have a, you have a free your brain like freezes the panic moments like I care, I care, I care, but I don't know. It is one of those things. Hold on. I care, I care, I care, comma, but I don't know. But I don't. Know. <laughs> I don't know if there's anything. That's what I really want the listener to hear. <laughs> I'm a good father. I don't know if there's anything. I don't know my kids or anything about their life, but I love them. <laughs> <laughs> that may be the most emotionally articulate representation of a dad, the plight of a dad that I've ever heard on this podcast. <laughs> when I was growing up, my dad would always kind of blank on my birthday or say, like, I don't know, when was your birthday? He would always ask me, and I never knew. My dad has such dry humor. I never knew if he was joking. <laughs> I, I suspect it's like half the time he was joking, yeah, half the yeah. time 
he's doing the bit because he can't remember. Like, when were you born again? Yeah, yeah. tell me when that was. Um, and I always like uh, this is a, this is a aside that we can cut out, but I always when it comes to names, I freeze up. Like if right now someone walked up to this group and 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 you guys didn't know this person i would it's possible that i would blank for a few seconds on all of your names yeah 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 it's happened when i was like s- standing with my sister oh. who i've known for a long time a long time <laughs> and somebody walked up and and there was like four solid seconds where i'm like what's my sister i I'm, I'm going to have to introduce them. what is her name i don't know <laughs> what is my I, what is her name becky megan it's megan okay now what's their name Anyway, honestly, <laughs> that is gold. I'm so refreshed to hear that because I, you think you're the only one that two weeks ago that happened to me with a colleague I've worked with for a decade oh. who I was seconds away from introduction and went blank. Oh, it's, so it's the pressure. I don't know her name. Yeah. And oh. yeah, it's, you uh, know, for us lyrics. Oh, I, bro, can't that is, I can't tell you how much of a struggle that is for me. But the, well, the one, the one talk, well, not one, I've bombed a few, but I, the one talk I felt I bombed the worst was, a, of course, a TEDx talk, one of the biggest ones I had an opportunity to do. And it was the one time I tried to memorize my content. Oh, Ooh. yeah. And they told Ooh. me to. When I went in, they really prep you and they scare you. They say you have to write out every word and you have to memorize it. These are what the TEDx coaches were telling me at the time. I'm sure it's not that way everywhere. Yeah. But I, I, I panicked. I got up there and yeah. just could not remember it. Yeah. And so I, I can't imagine lyrics. That's got to be. No, that, that you, no, you win there because we can strum or play. Until yeah, there's it's, some, it's a different part of your brain. I think when you're playing music, it's like a different part of your brain that's being activated. If I were just talking, that, that seems way harder. Because you can't, you can't, um, you can't, there's nowhere to go. Like you can't, mm-hmm. you're like, and yeah. that's why what we've found. Uh, <laughs> there's nothing else. You can't strum a guitar for a second. Like Back or up. just sort of dance for a yeah. minute. Everybody's like, "Oh, I'm, I don't really care what he had to say. Look at these moves." And then you're like, "Okay, what's the?" You're, you're just standing there. It's just, uh, <clears throat> uh, how about the game <laughs> last night? Okay, where was I? You know, like, <laughs> what am I doing? Where gu- am again, I? guitar. You can re- you can stop. Like we we can do the mm-hmm. thing where it's like, guys forgot it, and it's actually kind of endearing because people are like, "Oh, it's okay." Remember, he has a lyric, and you're like, "All right, here we go." Here yeah. We go. Yeah. I mean, you're speaking. It's like just dead air well and in this case i have i have a little bit more of an excuse because they have at tedx world time is everything yeah and you get a certain allotted amount of time i think mine was 20 minutes and you have a a confidence monitor that tells you what your next slide is going to be and you have a timer up front which is not comforting but at least you know where you are when i went out there the confidence monitor went black and the timer went oh my gosh miles oh and so this so, is not your fault. No. Well, this is but the then, IT then it was just me fault. and the content, and I just lost it all. I kind of had a panic moment. Yeah. I did the best that I could, and it probably wasn't as bad as – I never – I pulled it. I never – so TEDx, because they were felt so bad because of what happened with the technical yeah. glitch, they said, "Why well, don't we'll give you an opportunity to come back and do it again. And I scheduled a year later to do it again, and two days before my TEDx talk, I, my uh, Maverick was born. Mm. And so, so I yeah. just – I watched it and – went into never never turned back on it nice but it is interesting because my wife um grew up acting and she's done that her whole life and she's really good at it yeah yeah in er, every 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 other area of her life she would claim to be like what we're talking about where she can be forgetful and a little spacey Mm -hmm. but she she's got a method and she knows how to memorize lines and she can Mm -hmm. she she can do it and it's really i think it's i've even heard from actor friends that it's harder in this season than ever before and my theory is that most of us i think are probably suffering 
suffering from consumption fatigue. Yeah, yeah. Because we've yeah. just got millions yeah. of data points yeah. coming into our yeah. minds. So there's just no margin to yeah. hold, to hold yeah. stuff like we maybe used to. Yeah, true. Yeah. Okay, before we get rolling, I want to tell a little story that I actually told you we bumped into each other at a restaurant um, a couple months ago. But I want the listeners to know. Um, so a few months ago, I was in Atlanta with the family. We were visiting some friends. And a friend of a friend was at this lunch and we're introducing everybody, we're meeting everybody. And, and he says, uh, hey, and I really love your podcast. Uh, it changed my life. Wow. And it was like a, a light moment, you know, like it, it was like this really heavy sort of like, wait, did he just say it changed his life? I didn't know if he was joking or if he's being hyperbolic or whatever. Was it your dad? <laughs> I wanted it to be hard to, hard to read if he was joking. <laughs> and uh, and so I was like, oh, thanks. You know, he's like, I, I want to talk to you about it later. But, you know, didn't want to do it in front of the group. So late, later on, he kind of pulls me aside. And he's like, I, I was listening to Dadville and listening to the Miles Adcox episode. And it literally, like what he said, and, and it really affected me really impacted me at the end of the episode i like called on site went to on site changed my life and the the house where we were at was this this guy's best friend and uh his friend later on told me like it 100% like he wow. his life is in a in a completely different trajectory it that episode changed his life wow so really, incredible? we're kind of the Scotty Pippen to the Michael Jordan of on That's on right. Like, we didn't <laughs> really right. change his life. He passed, he passed no, the ball. Hey, you know what? It was time well spent because I, I have had, and I'm uh, Ashley will tell you, my colleague who's with me here, I'm trying not to do a lot of external activity because I'm really trying to finish a book. And mm. But there's some conversations I just want to say yes to. This mm. is one of them because it, it mm. had shelf life. It carried. I, yeah. I've had a lot of people that listen. And I, I remember starting and leaving the conversation feeling inadequate about where we were going because in a sense, I felt, well, this is the onsite guy. He's probably got some expertise around parenting and the way to do in it. these two weeks. And <laughs> I remember saying on the front end, I was like, guys, I am in full learning mode. Mm. I don't know if I've got yeah. anything to offer here, but I think all three of us were, and mm. there was something, uh, I need to go back and listen to it to see if we had anything of value, but apparently <laughs> I could tell you, we did. Uh, a lot of, uh, know. <laughs> a lot of people connected to, I, I, I guess just the authenticity of three dads circling up with, with some wisdom and experience, but also a lot of humility that man, this, I don't think you can be an expert at this. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. So, so one, of, one of the things, you know, like John was saying that we, we thought would be so great to have you on is just to talk more about that specifically, just kind of therapy on site, what you guys are doing there, because it's something we haven't, you know, we, we've done on, on the, on the podcast before and sort of like we've, you know, alighted just to sort of fly off again quickly. You know, it's not been a, a, a podcast really dedicated to just kind of therapy and, and what that means. And so obviously thinking about you it was like one that story was so great and it's such a l great lead in to that is is just the power of what you guys are doing with with onsite but can you talk more about onsite and just for those who are listening like what that is what y'all do you know what you're hoping to achieve kind of there and how y'all help people yeah so i uh 
obviously on-site's where I spend the majority of my time. It's uh, an emotional wellness retreat space. Uh, we got a couple locations now, but we also do a lot of stuff uh, digitally. But more than that, I'd say that the, the mission is to create an emotionally well world hmm. and, and kind of reconnect humanity in a way. And I know that's a big lofty goal. But I, from someone who found myself in need of the services we provide in my early 20s, it, it kind of knocked me off my feet as somebody who didn't know what was going on, but knew something wasn't going right and didn't really know where to go to access the right, to find the right support. And it was a bumpy entry into the mm -hmm. space. And then when I found the right support, I went on this really deep journey, you know, a few years of excavating and deconstructing my story and then rebuilding it with the right people around me. And it just was an amazing harvest towards the back end. I felt better about who I was. I felt clear about who I was becoming. And for whatever reason, I didn't look at it once I had the experience as punitive, like I was fixing hmm. a broken part of myself. But I looked at the way therapy and counseling has been branded and continues to be branded for years as all wrong. It is set up uh, to the general public is this is where you go when something's wrong with you. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And I got passionate and determined after I had my own experience to, to try to figure out how we could shift the paradigm of the way we frame change hmm. or growth or transformation or healing from uh, you're fixing the broken parts of you to you're reclaiming the best parts of mm. you in a sense. That's a great way to put it. Um, turn it from uh, this shame-based, stigma-based uh, process to just becoming a better human being. Mm. And I've uh, on-site really for me is more human school than anything. And hmm. maybe the thing I'm most proud about it, and I, I stand on the shoulders of some giants that represent us as our team. So I get way too much credit just because of my role and my title when really the credit goes to my team. They're the ones that are really good at what they do, know what they do. But our big initiative is not to provide the best counseling out there, even though I think we uh, we provide great counseling, great expertise. It's more to shift the stigma about how we're communicating and bringing the concept of change to the world. Mm -hmm. And I want it to feel more like human school than, uh, than, than the hiding anonymously in the basement of a church in order yeah. to share your yeah. deepest, dark, darkest secrets. I would love to put myself and onsite out of business one mm -hmm. day mm -hmm. so that, uh, you know, a legacy could be that we're having conversations that we have in counseling. I don't mean to demean our profession because it does require a high level of training and expertise and there'll be certain parts for it that will always be relevant and needed. But if the basic premise could be psychologically safe, vulnerable conversations that could happen in the classroom, mm -hmm. the boardroom, um, our living rooms, then I think that would be a game changer. I think mm -hmm. we'd move a little closer toward our goal of reconnecting humanity. Now, I realize you asked me about onsite, and I quickly jumped on a soapbox, so I probably confused people, but we, we offer a lot of therapeutic personal growth, self-development experiences in, in short-term intensive workshop formats. And, uh, and we just try to put really good you know, content out there that brings meaning and value back into the human experience. Mm. And you guys do you specialize in like group therapy, right? Is it all group therapy? It's not. Uh, we, we do individual, uh, okay. intensives as well. Couples intensives, family intensives, but we do, uh, put a, a high focus on group. <laughs> 
<laughs> man. Dave, Jeez, yeah. I want to give a shout-out. Yeah. And when I give a shout-out, I always I laugh because it just brings me so much joy you to give a shout-out to Claritin yes. Yes. for supporting this episode and providing us with free oh, samples. You know it, John. This time of year, my allergies are in fuego. They're mm-hmm. always on the attack, but I use this, and you should too. Oh, I do, Dave. Every day in our house. Yeah. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, which is, this is me raising my hand, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill to relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, runny nose, itchy and watery eyes an itchy nose and throat and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. John, I've been taking Claritin D for my allergies for a long time, and it's been an absolute life changer. I can go for a run without my eyes watering. I may be crying, but it's not sure, from allergies. Totally different. And I can sing without feeling like I have a fr- like a big old, let's not even call it a frog. It's a, it's like a toad. It's like a family of toads. It's a family. It's a turtle. Yeah. In my so you ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? Yeah, me. I it's know. time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Hey, John. I went with Don. <laughs> what? It's just the two of our names. We oh, don't, we don't okay. have time. I thought that Don. I didn't yeah. know if there was somebody I needed to be worried about. No. It's coming to stake my claim here, John. I'm going to get defensive. I'll throw some bows and you know that. Listen, are you that. ready to tell our listeners about some of our incredible friends who are changing lives right down the street as well as around the world? Let's do it, Dave. Two words. Everybody, Thistle Farms. Yeah. Thistle like the purple thorny weed? No, I like the purple weed, Dave. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Now, hang on, Dave. Before you get your thinking cap in a tangle, <laughs> right, let me tell you the why behind it. All right. Thistle Farms provides healing, housing, and employment for women survivors of trafficking, prostitution, and addiction. Thistles, although considered weeds, are resilient. They are tough like the women survivors whom Thistle Farms serves. Listen, John, we are songwriters, and we love a good metaphor yeah, and do. a good mission. Thistle Farms has it all. That's right. You know what else they have, Dave? Tell me. A pretty darn good shave gel. You look amazing this morning. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, what's better than lathering up in hope and healing, Dave? I don't know. The way that Thistle Farms provides women survivors two years of free housing, trauma therapy, medical assistance, and job training. They fund their program by selling products that their program participants make. And let me tell you, Dave, they have a lot more than shave gel. Wow. Candles gift sets, leather bags and wallets, home decor, and so much more. Okay, well, I'm going to head over to their website, and all of our listeners should too, Mm -hmm. so they can learn more about Thistle Farms and get themselves a candle, shave gel, a leather wallet, and so much more, all made by a survivor. And if our listeners enter the code DADVILLE at checkout, they'll receive 15% off their purchase at thistlefarms.org. So, what are you waiting for? Which, that's not something, you know, I've, I've I go to therapy one on one, me and my therapist. But what is, talk about the group therapy and some of the dynamics? I've I've heard some really amazing stories about you know some of the exercises, for lack of a better word, maybe that you guys do, and some of the like really powerful things that have come about while doing some of these like 
you know, almost role playing kind of things. You know, like what, yeah. what are some of the what are some of the things about group therapy that that are so powerful? And I should have clarified when I said we do individual intensives. The difference in us and what you might experience in private practice with your traditional one hour session is uh, when I say intensives, we do like three and four day. Six, eight yeah, hour yeah. a day. This is like a destination people are going That's to. That's right. Yeah, or yeah. We, we come to people too. But we, I'm thankful we got to be part years ago of kind of innovating that intensive model mm-hmm. in that the 50-minute the session has its place, I think, and it's, it's necessary and it's proven uh, to be impactful. But it's really hard to come from a really busy life, drop in for an hour, and then get kind of slingshotted back out into the, yeah. the rapid pace of life. So when you can unplug and distance yourself, there's a huge advantage. Mm-hmm. The second best advantage I think we have is we try to use an experiential model of change. It's not all we use because experiential therapy and everything that falls underneath that umbrella is an expertise we hang our hat on. A lot of times people think that's all we do. And it's not. We use any modality of change that's relevant, that's researched, and that's effective and important. But experiential is where we lo- what we love. And mm-hmm. I love it because it's what finally got to me. Mm. It's what broke through to me. We talked in the beginning uh, of our conversation about how difficult it can be to keep track of, of life. And, and I don't know if that is because I, I'm diagnosed ADD. I've had it for a long time. I had the H early on, but I dropped the H somewhere. Uh, I gave it to Dave. I was yeah. going to say, I think I picked that Dave up. Go ahead. two H's. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, still highly distracted, but not very hyper. Um, but anyway, I got, I, uh, where was I going with that? Oh, uh, experiential. So um, sitting and talking and cognitively processing my story, I wasn't having a lot of breakthroughs or progress with that. I really liked it. I, it, it was interesting. I, I found it valuable. And it, but, but that traditional counseling approach, I needed something a little more interactive and experiential to hold my attention and to engage me in a, in a focused way. Mm-hmm. And really all experiential is, is an umbrella of different modalities that would try to take someone's story and make it more visible, three-dimensional, make it come alive mm-hmm. through art, music, role play, drama. There's a lot of different ways to do it. Uh, we use animal assisted therapy, equine therapy, but it's bringing something else into the story so that you can see it versus just hear it. Yeah. Cause we do know that if I were to say something to you, it kind of activates a third of your brain. If I show it to you, it activates two thirds. And if we make it kinesthetic uh, and put action around it, it activates all of it. So that's what experiential does. And it's when you're in a group, it can be really Usually when we're in a self-reflective process, anybody who's got a little shame in their story, which it's hard as a human not to have some of that, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard not to take the, once you get the tools to self-assess, it's hard to get the microscope off yourself because hmm. all you're doing is just shining a big light on your, your challenges, your areas of improvement or your historic adversity. And when you get other people in the room who can be a mirror of feedback and can say, I just saw you or just experienced you do that piece of work, or I played a role for you doing that piece of work. And first of all, you need to hear, here's how I related to it. Boom. Our brain automatically assimilates to, uh, oh my goodness, I'm not alone in this. So you kind of, the microscope comes down, um, on yourself and a mirror comes up of empathy towards you and other people. And it's really an, uh, I think an irreplaceable process, I wish I could get everybody through a group therapy process because I'm so passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Some people's story and their professions require 
an individual uh, private process. But it's I, I would say if our goal was to have someone walk out of an experience having more empathy for themselves and other people, mm. it's really hard not to have that uh, in a group experience mm-hmm. if it's facilitated well. Yeah. That, that, um, so Miles and I are in a men's group with a bunch of other guys here in Nashville. And I, and I haven't been on site because when I applied, they just responded, ha, ha, ha. And that was it. Which was weird. <laughs> um, no, but, but I haven't been able to go out there. But we've done some of these exercises. And it was just so, first of all, it's terrifying. Like anybody listening that's going like, that sounds like a, it is terrifying. There's no way around the fact that you immediately feel like what is happening right now. You know, just because it's such a new experience and, you're very much sort of doing these things that just aren't native to how we work, you know, it's, which is why it's so powerful, obviously. But it was so cool seeing in those moments as, you know, as it goes, you sort of, you know, in a wonderful way, you, you really do get involved and you sort of forget yourself and these, you know, in your, in your, but watching the power of what I learned watching other people. I mean, I, I remember, I think the hardest I've cried and maybe in my life, I wasn't even like it was somebody telling his story and we were, and I just couldn't keep it together because so I just felt like I was, it was that thing where I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I'm doing. This is exactly what I'm doing. And it wasn't even me doing it, you know? And so I think seeing it done is such a powerful, I I didn't know that. I mean, and I haven't even been through the intensives, Mm -hmm. but even those times that we've done it in our men's group and just watching these guys and seeing, you know, I remember one specifically where this guy had this revelation that as a 30-something-year-old man, he had never put these two things together. But doing one of these role plays, he just lost it. He said out loud to us, like, I have never been able to. And so you realize, as someone who's been a traditional therapy for such a long time, which has been so helpful, it's like you said, it's just such a different thing. It's just a, you know, it's such a different take. And then, you know, I know I have friends who've done the, you know, the horse therapy, which at first you're like, Okay, like how much peyote is happening out there? And is it, you know, um, what shaman sort of delivers? (laughs) (laughs) He's pictured someone in a white robe riding up on a white horse. (laughs) Don't touch the horse. Don't touch the horse. (laughs) He will look at you in the eye and tell you what's wrong. But, but, you know, even hearing, like I had a friend walk me through what that was like and how it was just crazy. Like it's things and what he learned from it and how profound these moments were of, finding you know even with that so it's it's such a different you know for anybody that's listening that's even considering it it's such a different it's not the thing you think that it is you know it's not something where you're going to go and and sit which again it's so helpful but it really is such an experiential thing and I don't know anybody that's ever been that doesn't come back that just is like holy cow yeah yeah And, and what you know which I've heard I feel like I've heard you describe it this way but it's like a it's kind of a supercharged it's like uh, you know, drinking from a fire hydrant where mm-hmm. you think about how many times one-on-one it takes to kind of get to things. Those weekends or those three or four day intensives tend to be like consolidating almost like a year's worth of work into sort of these three or four days, mm-hmm. you know, so you can leave feeling much more sort of like, wow, okay. These were one, I never would like, I'm never going <laughs> to like, I, I try to think that I'm a pretty like emotionally, connected guy but every time we start one of those things i'm always like oh my gosh here we go, here we go. <laughs> we're leaning oh, in we're leaning, we're leaning in there's no and so but it's such a beautiful thing and i think like you said it's it's i'm curious with you i mean is it is it hard i think about this when i think about you doing that and my friends who are in that space is it hard to leave that there when you leave is it hard not taking that stuff home 
It can be. And and just to reflect on, on uh, you made a really valid point that I wanted to shine a light on when you talked about, really you were talking about being in an auxiliary role mm. instead of the protagonist. Right, right, right. If you think about it in terms of story. And that's the beauty of experiential therapy. I mean, we get wounded, we get stressed, we experience adversity through the lens of life experience. And I think our jobs as creative uh, professionals in the change space, i.e. therapists and counselors, should curate experiences for people to heal them. Mm-hmm. And if we get wounded in experience, we also heal in experience. So you have to mm-hmm. curate a really good experience. But uh, often people think, well, I'm here to do my work, mm. do my work, which is mean you'd, you'd look at your story mm. and you'd be the protagonist mm. of a particular scene. But if you ask uh, 95% of the people a year out, two years out, three years out, what did you work on while you were at onsite? You usually don't remember. You don't remember. What you do remember is what you witnessed in other people's yes. stories. So the auxiliary role is incredibly powerful because I think it takes down our natural defenses. Mm. And we suddenly we relax because the spotlight's not on us, but you suddenly see right through someone's story and you see yourself. Mm-hmm. It happens to me a lot when I go. It's why I love movie theaters. And mm. I'm so sad when they got shut down. And, of course, the violence that happened in them, they became not so attractive. But I've been... I've been following the Nicole Kidman AMC train and trying to go to movie theaters again. <laughs> but I uh, I went and saw Maverick uh, mm. Top Gun yeah, yeah. Uh, this past weekend with a buddy. And I got to be in the auxiliary role mm. for two hours. I got to turn my brain off, not think, and be in, in the midst of a really great story. Mm. And I had an experience. Mm. Like I, I saw myself so much in his character and then the young Goose's son's character, especially when, you know, the uh, – Trust your instincts. Uh, don't think, just do. All those little things. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I was ready to come out of the chair. Well, that's kind of what we try to do at Onsite is curate people's stories, except for their true real life stories so that you mm-hmm. can witness and benefit as a uh, part of the process. And you're right. Uh, most of us aren't wired and culturally conditioned to lean in in that kind of way. Our job also, and maybe the most important job we have at Onsite is to curate a psychologically safe and ecosystem and environment for people to do that in. And it's about 24 hours in an intensive experience where usually people settle in and they go mm-hmm. from thinking this is terrifying to thinking this is the safest place I've ever wow. been. Wow, wow. And I think you might be able to relate to that in our group. Mm-hmm. It's usually you've got that right up, like you're standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon, you know, looking off and... Uh, psychological safety would be the opposite of imagine walking to the edge of the Grand Canyon and somebody has their hand in the middle of your back. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how close are you actually going to get to vulnerability? Not mm-hmm. very. That's the way we used to do it. We try to push and motivate people into change with confrontation, not sustainable. What we've learned is that if we can join people instead of push or pull them, then they're much more likely to walk up to the edge wow. of what we know is actually true safety, yeah. just on the other side of our fear. I, I went on a rabbit trail and I'll circle back just to say, that's probably the question you ask just to remind those that are listening about, is it hard not to take it home? For me, that I think that's the hardest part. Really? Hmm. Yep. Um, I And there's a lot of methods that you can put into debriefing, staffing, offloading some of what we consume when we hear people's stories, Mm. just to try to prevent the vicarious and secondary nature of trauma, you know, when you take on so many. But I'm very human and I'm sensitive and that's what makes me good at my job. Um, I am good in crisis and yet I also can consume a lot of what I hear. I can get really passionate about it. Last night I was with a a very, uh, a buddy who's a very prolific, um, 
songwriter and he's accomplished everything he's accomplished. He's had a four decade career. Mm -hmm. And I said, have you gotten tired of it? And uh, are you still having fun? Have you gotten tired of it? And he said, I still love it every day. Mm -hmm. And he said, how about you? And I said, I still love it, but I definitely get tired of it. And I think the part of me that gets tired and a little burned out sometimes is the consumption of, uh, of, of, of adversity all mm. the time. Yeah. Now we, we try to, uh, get super creative in our culture to come up with a lot of different ways, especially for our frontline clinicians to offload the stories they consume throughout the day and mm. throughout the week. But it's still a human experience. I've not met many people, especially in the pandemic, our attrition and our, our, uh, our turnover was as high as I've ever seen it. Mm. People were just tired. So, um, it's, it comes with the territory. Uh, if you don't, and if you're not honest about it and aware that if you think you're superhuman mm -hmm. and you're not impacted, mm -hmm. that's when I think it really mm -hmm. gets dangerous. So I try to be honest to say, I don't have that perfected. I don't do it well all the time. What has helped a ton is that historically when I was like younger and newer in the field, this has come with some season seasoning and experiences. I could go, um, weeks or months or even years and not acknowledge it just powered through an overdrive. I'm passionate. My identity's in this. This is what I do. This is what God made me to be. I'm supposed to be the guy that takes everybody's story and helps them. And, and that was just a setup for burnout. And it happened to me a handful of times in my career is where I just crashed. And, uh, I'm lucky I made it, you know, I, I made it because I love what I do. Now the, 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 the time between when it happens and when I recognize it has gotten way shorter. Mm -hmm. So now I know what to do when it happens, that I need to talk about it, that I need to pull back and take a break. Don't always listen to it like I should mm -hmm. right away, but at least I've got the awareness to know it's like on board. You, you can tell when it's iterating and like you can tell, oh, I'm, I've got either physically or like you, you have signs now to go like, oh, I know what that means. That's that, right. That, okay. That's fascinating. And there was a season in my life where I didn't know what I didn't know. I had huh. it, I, I had it in, I was having a very human experience to working in the helping profession, probably on the edge of burnout more times than not. And I didn't even know it because yeah. I was just powering through. Yeah. So when I hear that, the whole hustle culture and don't get me wrong, I'm a driven entrepreneur. I love to chase my dreams. I love to work hard. I encourage people to do it. Love work ethic. But I think if, if, if we don't acknowledge that if we pull the soul out of being a, a professional in whatever our field is, then it's a recipe for a crash at some point. <laughs> <laughs> oh my oh gosh. gosh. I didn't know you could stretch that far. That's amazing. I can't. That's actually a friend of mine. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. Wow. Do you, speaking of your friends, do uh -huh. you ever bring your kids to the grocery store? Oh, Dave, that's like the rookiest of rookie mistakes. Oh. No. In fact, you shouldn't even bring yourself to the grocery store. Whoa. It's Thrive Market all the way, Dave. That was a trick question, and that is also uh. the right answer, John. <laughs> Thrive Market is our go-to for all our grocery and household essentials and the convenience of ordering everything on their website or app and getting everything delivered to your doorstep quickly is a huge stress reliever. Huge stress reliever. And the products are amazing. Mm -hmm. Plus, you can curate your own shopping experience with a few clicks and trust that you're getting high-quality products mm. so that you can shop worry-free. Yes. I don't like to shop worried. You know what <laughs> I mean? Worry shopping is the worst. <laughs> you just place an order for some gluten-free items, like using the gluten-free filter. Ooh. Boom. It just gives you all the gluten-free stuff. Wow. 
I got Fitjoy grain free pretzels. Yeah. P.I.P. corn white cheddar cheese balls. Guys, for those of us in the loop, it's called pip corn. No, no, no I call it P.I.P. It's, a, again, a Midwestern okay. regional thing. <laughs> totally. And I got some lotus ramen noodles. You are off. You're just off. I'm you're, off you're to cra- the races, You are Dave. crazy, John. <laughs> Not only do I save time shopping as a Thrive Market member, I also save money on every single grocery order. Over 30% each time on average. That's crazy. They even have a price match guarantee and a deals page that changes weekly. That's right, Dave. In fact, on my last order, not to be you know competitive about it, but my last order of gluten-free items, the cost was $46. And I saved 11 bucks. <sighs> Save ten last time. Plus, when you join Thrive Market, and you can enjoy it and join it, John. I was trying to make both those. It's words not work. an either or. It's, you can, guys. It's choose your own adventure, okay? And when you join and enjoy Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one for one membership matching program. You join, they give. Save time and money and shop Thrive Market today. Go to thrivemarket.com/dadville for thirty percent off your first order plus free sixty dollar gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dadville. Thrivemarket.com slash dadville. And join today. Dave. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, do you hear that? Hold on. Oh, yes, actually. If you, Well, assuming you're talking about the Iron Maiden blaring from the neighbor's house? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Hear yeah. That. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was just yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, anyway, can I tell you about this amazing cookware that I just got for Amy? <laughs> John, how long have we been friends? Okay, on one condition. Yeah. As you're doing it, you need to make at least three Beatles references. Okay. Can you do uh, that? Uh, challenge oh. accepted. Uh, let me tell you about Caraway, Dave. Okay. Caraway cookware. Okay. You see, Caraway Homes' non-toxic kitchenwares are all designed for the modern home and feature a chemical-free ceramic coating, Dave, Mm -hmm. so food can be prepared with peace of mind Mm. that no hard-to-pronounce compound will leach into your healthy ingredients. Gross. I bet Annie would be into this, too. She would. You don't think they listen to the pod, do you? I don't I just don't want to spoil surprise. I guarantee you. Okay, good. No chance. Okay, okay. Uh, I can see there's a cookware and a bakeware set. Which yeah, side you? That's right. Uh, in my life, I've been a cookware guy. Oh, yeah. I see what you did yeah. there. Okay, taking the yeah. challenge up. The cookware set takes a traditional 16-piece set boiled down to four essentials. Okay, a give fry me. pan. One. Okay. A saute pan. Two. A saucepan. Three. And, of course, a Dutch oven. Four. Sounds like there's something about it. <laughs> hey, I'm playing two. Here hey, we I'm go. playing two. Here I'm we playing go. two. All right, get this. The naturally slick ceramic surface means minimal oil or butter for slide-off-the-pan eggs and easy cleaning. That alone will make a hard day's night much easier. Look, I'm crushing hey, this. There's one more to go. Okay, listen. You've convinced me, Johnny. Okay, but what happens would... now? What happens now? All right. Well, lastly, let me tell you how I've been using my Caraway Ooh, cookware set. Gosh. I've made a glass onion, oh. a honey pot, uh, and an amazing Savoy truffle. Just my hey, drum. hey, you did it, and it's not that I didn't think you could, but there were people out there. They were saying they, I couldn't, and I did. Murmurs. And now everywhere. let me say to them: just visit CarawayHome.com/slash/Dadville to take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for our listeners, not just any of those Lucy in the Skies with uh, their diamonds, okay, oh guys? Oh, my goodness. Back so and visit carawayhome.com slash dadville or use code dadville at checkout. Caraway, non-toxic cookware made modern. Hate you. Oh, that's five.
So, mm. so this is a great, this sort of leads me into the next question I want to ask you, which is, you know, and, and I, I, I think we would all agree it'd be great if everybody could get some sort of therapy, no matter what your story is, just, you know, just to sort of check in and see how you're doing and maybe exhume some things from even decades ago that you sort of don't know. Well, you. one of the things that you said, I think in our first conversation that I, is one of the things I always have top of mind from all these episodes that we've done in Dadville is you said, I think we were asking like, you know, how do you feel about therapy for, for everyone? Like who should go to, how do you, how do you know when you should go? And you said everyone deserves to yeah, go to therapy. That's, that's a great way. Which I thought was it. such a great way to frame it. So how do you, um, for people that are listening, that maybe that's a new thought, like like they haven't ever done therapy, or you know they listen to what you're saying, they're like oh, that's not even in my view of life, you know. How, how, when would you say to people listening, it may be this this would be something to watch, and maybe is a good reason to go now. Like when is a good time to consider that? Like what would be the things that, or have you seen in your clients that you go that's that's kind of a tell for it's probably time to sit down with somebody. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think other than just being a human. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I, I, I think we're headed that way to where you don't need a catalyst right, uh, right, to pursue right. the best version of you. Right. If you, but but right now it appears that we most people need some type of catalyst. Something mm. needs to happen in their life to encourage them to go. Not always, because our demographic is really shifting at onsite to where we're seeing more people come when life's going really great, mm. and they just want to take four days do a digital detox raise their emotional intelligence, start to integrate it, become wow, a little emotionally great. smarter in their relationships, or they're trying to go through a change. Early. So I would say transitions are usually a, a big one. Oh, Any wow. kind of transition is a good time. And I don't say it because I think people need it in transitions. I think it's just a, it's, it's a great opportunity because I know when people are in transitions, we are twice as likely to be able to support them with change mm. because they're not fixed in a position. Right. Wow. They don't have to bypass certain that's defenses. That's fascinating. It's interesting how I feel like that's like a really a theme. Like that's like a macro kind of transition. And, and the micro is like all these little things that you guys do. Like I'm going to have you actually play a role like in this exercise you're going to be this person's mom or you're going to be you know it, it's like and i think when you when people get to on-site they don't say their occupation they say like first name and that's it which that right there in our culture is such a that's a transition if you will like that i always say my occupation or something like that you like that's such a part of our identity that that right there is like new footing. It seems like that is the common theme where like novelty and just getting someone out of their fixed routine activates or opens them up, I suppose, to then they can really like actually do some work on themselves from a different vantage point than they always occupy, you know. You, it's a great point. And sometimes I think the what we facilitate gets more credit than the environment that we support people to come into. Mm -hmm. Meaning often people think, well, these are the experts. They must know things that would help us change. Mm. And don't get yeah. me wrong. I don't, that we do have some great tools and support, but if you can create the right environment, people have the tools they need to change within them. And one yeah. of those is limit distractions. Mm -hmm. And sometimes our professions can be our biggest distraction. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. When we get so wrapped up in, in uh, who, who, what we do that we forget who we are. Yeah. 
it can be difficult. It usually the first 90% of, or yeah, 90% or 90 of the time of new acquaintances or interactions within the first 30 seconds, we're going to identify what the other person does and what we do. Hmm. Right. Did I say that right? Yeah. 90% yeah. of yeah, the yeah. time. And, uh, and so that leaves 10% that you might actually get to know someone beyond how your brain is sizing them up based on, mm -hmm. and, and why do we do that? Usually we want to know someone's career because we are beyond our thinky free, thinky feely brains. We're just survival. We're, yeah. we're in survival mode. So yeah. we want to know based we're on what you do, are, of the world. are you a threat to me? Yeah. Are you an asset to me? You know, how can you, and it's so uh, refreshing yeah. when you get to know 50, 60 people in a week, and have no idea what anybody does. And suddenly it's like, I actually know a community of human beings instead of human doings, maybe wow. for the first time in my Jeez life. Louise. That's amazing. Remember when I told you that the first time. The, um, <laughs> uh, so another, another kind of companion question to that one is, you know, trauma, I, I feel like um, is, is much more talked about. And I think a little better understood globally. Now it's a word that you hear a lot more in this space. And, and again, for, for sort of part two of, I guess, that first question is how, you know, anyone that's listening to this that, that may think they may have some of that, which I think we all do, whether it's big T or little T, or if it's all just all caps, whatever, you know, trauma, um, someone listen to this, it's like, I wonder if I do, what are the things you would say, here's how we see it iterate that you need to, that, that would like, you know, it's like when you're, um, what is that when they find oil like they know that on the top this is where oil is below because we know what it looks like on the top you know and if we drill mm -hmm. there's going to be oil what is the version of that with trauma like what are things that that somebody listening you go you may want to sit with somebody because this is how trauma iterates if you're feeling that iteration in your life does that make sense sure yeah trauma is is something we we obviously specialize in and i i'm excited now that culture has kind of accepted it as a term. It feels like it's heading that way. So it's not mm -hmm. near as much stigma in 15, 20 years ago. It felt like pushing a snowball up a here to a hill to get people to listen. And now trauma has become pop cultureized and there's a, a really good side of that. Mm -hmm. And there's a bit of a dangerous side to that. Same thing happened to codependency back mm -hmm. in the eighties mm -hmm. when people were talking about that, all the codependency never made it into the DSM for the diagnostic statistical manual mm -hmm. that they use, uh, PTSD did. Hmm. Uh, but they, when codependency got pop culturized, it kind of lost its meaning a little bit. Mm -hmm. Cause it's like, everybody's got it. If you open the door for somebody, you're codependent. And <laughs> and then everybody's like, well, am I codependent? Yeah. The world's codependent. What does yeah. it mean? And there, and there, and, but yet yeah, codependency can be a debilitating mm -hmm. suffering yeah. condition that, um, a lot of people, uh, you know, deal with trauma, I think is the same way. And, you know, we, Bessel van der Kolk has defined trauma as anything other than nurturing. Wow. Which really levels the playing field. And I actually love that definition because who hasn't experienced that somewhere along the timeline? But I think we got to be careful with the difference between trauma, psychological trauma, and a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder because that can be a really serious, you know, condition that we don't want to water down. But I, I lean more on the side of exactly what you described, which is I think trauma is a human condition. Mm. I don't think people escape it. And if trauma is an activating word, then just plug in adversity and stress. Nobody escapes adversity. Adversity generates stress, especially in our culture. We don't have natural outlets built in 
for mm-hmm. stress reducing experiences. So therefore stress compounds in our system increase trauma. And so if you've exper- if you find yourself experiencing a lot of stress and you have anxiety, if you're losing sleep, if you've got uh, changes in your appetite, either eating too much or not enough, if you're finding yourself really uh, or struggling to be present, if you're, ironically, like we talked about in the beginning, if you're forgetting a lot of things, mm. um, usually that's our brain and our body trying to tell us something. And it could mean that there is more significant things happening below the surface and be a great invitation, a good time to talk to somebody. Man, that's a great word. Good night. What are, what are I, I want to get back to uh, kind of Dave, your earlier question where you were talking about how is it hard to not bring this home and have it affect you, uh, you know, when you're quote unquote off the clock. Do you have like a couple, um, sort of habits that you have, have, uh, put in place that, you know, are really effective in helping you sort of like offload that or get, get, you know, not bring, bring work home. Yeah, there's something we do in in counseling circles that we call, we need a better name for it, it's called clinical staffing, where we circle up a couple times a day and we ask each other a series of questions about what came up for you. What'd you notice? You'd think we'd be getting together to talk about our caseload or the clients that we're supporting, and that does come. But first, at least the way we do it, is we focus on, did you have any transference? Do you have any counter-transference? Did anything activate you during the talk? And simply, now... I'm not front line. I'm not seeing people in that yeah. way. That's what our teams do. But I, I still am on the phone all day, every day, downloading people's stories. So I, for me, it's just finding a safe presence to tell someone else about it. Just mm-hmm. communicating it mm. helps a ton. Get Taking it from I'm sitting on that to now I've shared yeah. that yeah. with yeah. another person. And if I don't have another person to do it with, often it's just writing it down. And then I've learned there are stress reducing experiences outside of work that fill me up when I'm feeling a bit depleted. One of those is horses. One of those is music. There's things that I love to do that if I can engage in those and amp up the time that I give those when I'm in a season of consuming a lot, it helps balance it Mm, out a little bit. Yeah. Which takes a lot of, you sort of got to know yourself to know those things, you know, like, no, Oh yeah. Like, because somebody you know will be like, oh, for me it's running, and then you try running, you're like, this is not doing the thing. So it yep. takes a little trying and going. Oh, okay, that's it. That's one of those things for me. There's one more, uh, maybe a simple one. And it may seem silly, but it's actually worked pretty good for me. As I had heard this come from, uh, uh, I can't remember if it was out of China or Japan. It was definitely an Asian culture. But I had heard, I read a story one time, and I started doing it where when I come home before I come through the front door to engage with the family and the kids and dinner and whatever's going on, I will go straight to my room, uh, in my closet, change clothes, get out of the clothes from the day whoa, and put on home clothes and then walk out and hug my family and wow. say hello. And there's something about the, the, the idea Rogers. of taking off work yeah. and, wow. and then putting on home. That is, I love that. I, lo- I love things like that, that are like a, a tangible, a tangible practice. Thing that has a psychological effect, whether we even, you know, buy it or not, just do it. I'm sure it would just have an effect on you. Um, Ways to trigger your brain. Yeah. Like with physical Again, things. it's like that same kind of concept of like, do these things and your brain will, it will just subtly change. It's like you're tricking your brain a little bit, you know. 
That's so fascinating. It's great. But I was going to say earlier, like it's it's um, you have to know yourself, like you're saying, like to know you know what is going to work for you, what habits are going to actually be stress relieving. And I I feel like in my 30s, I have really come to know myself on like the other side of that coin, which is like there's so many habits that I or tendencies that I do that are tells of stress and anxiety and all that kind of stuff that I, I, for so long, I didn't realize. And, you know, Amy, my wife, is very helpful in this where she's like, you know, hey, are you okay? Because you you're cleaning the counter. And, you, you know, and I'm like, I didn't even realize. Like, I'm, that's one of my things. Like, I'm cleaning before I even realize if I'm stressed, you know. Cleaning a clean counter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just like I'm rubbing the That was the, the name of his off. autobiography. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions because these are things that I think, uh, like when I look at sort of where we are in the world and where therapy is in the world and sort of like the, the place that it's taken, as you were kind of talking about trauma doing that too, one of the things that I've noticed is there is a little bit of uh, a perceived disconnect from older generations with therapy and then like our generation, especially the younger generations, like how each of them take to it, how much more of a popular idea it is to our generation younger, like it's much more talked about or accepted or seen as okay. And then older generations, like, you know, my parents' generation, the generation kind of between us and even older, especially, it's a little bit more of like a, you know, it's a taboo thing sometimes, like this idea that like you need to go get help and you don't know what you're doing. Um, one, why do you think that that is? Like, why do you think that those, um, and I think every generation struggles with it. That's not at all what I'm trying to say, but I do think there's, you know, it's just seen very differently. Like I think, um, um, one, why do you think that is such a different thing for those older generations? And then two, how do you find yourself like engage with that, with that, um, ideology, you know, around therapy? Like how do you engage those, that, that, those kind of generations when trying to, um, represent and, and, you know, argue there's a place for it and it's important. Like, you know, yeah. It's a great question. I had a really good challenge and opportunity as early as yesterday to speak to the generation, our parents' generation. Yeah, you know, uh, successful uh, executives. That was a business group that were in the late stages of their career, looking at their succession plans, and they asked a mental health guy to come talk. And I'm like, you know, I knew at least. Uh, culturally the stigma around what this group so i went in thinking mm -hmm. i mean that's kind of the tip of the spear in my opinion not yeah. just that generation but successful yep. high functioning people like okay. that would be that to me would be really intimidating so I, yeah i was even sharing with ash i was nervous going in i was like i don't know how to you know got to figure out how to break through these guys and i really went into it and i found this to be effective trying to think about how do i take what i know and what I believe in based on what I've learned with my training and my own pursuit of emotional health and uh, just having a more integrative life and strip back the language in a way so that I can bridge uh, without activating. Yes. And yes. And, and it's hard to do because I live in the world of talking about psychology through the lens of people's pathology. Mm -hmm. But if you, use words like trauma, um, anxiety, mm -hmm. depression, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
um, even if you get into the healing side of it and you start talking mm-hmm. about healing modalities, like we were talking about earlier, some people we've lost them, you know, yeah, we right. get into that. That's why I usually don't reveal a ton before people come because they're like, I'm not going to that place. It sounds crazy. And they don't know when you get there, we make it really realistic. But with these guys, it's how do you neutralize the language in a way that you're speaking a language they can understand mm-hmm. versus trying to make them understand uh, a language that I live in. Right. That's that's my struggle too with the you know the faith communities. It, it can be really hard to do, but if you see somebody that knows how to do it, it's amazing that where they can communicate the principle behind the message without using the language to deliver that's the right. message. That's right. And and I try to do that in therapy and psychology as well with that audience. Why do I think that the it it, it it's different now than it was with the generations before us? Um, it's a it's a big question, but overall, I think we just didn't know what we didn't know, hmm. and I think it's it's another example of how humanity evolves. We learn a little bit more about the brain, and we know we know a lot about the brain now, but we still don't know a lot about the brain. We're, right. we're probably, in terms of understanding the neurology of change. In, in pain for that matter, we're probably where computer science was in the eighties mm. where it's like, it's on, we're on a rocket, we're yeah, gonna, yeah. but we still don't know a lot, but we know more than we did know. So we're not laying in tannin beds anymore, ideally, right. um, <laughs> not, not smoking <laughs> cigarettes. We're wearing seat belts, and we're realizing that, that therapy is, is a useful and important, uh, thing that any of us could benefit from on any, any point in our lives. Mm. Yeah. That's I, amazing. I feel like the, um, semantics, like the words are really fascinating because I I feel like in the in in the little bit of time that I have been going to therapy and Amy and I both realize like the words really yeah matter yes like the way that I I mean you know sort of like marriage counseling what a 101 or conflict counseling is like you don't say like you always etc cetera, etc cetera. you know like there's some basic forms of communication that are really, really helpful, that it doesn't change your, you know, hurt. It doesn't change what this person did to you. But the way that you present your case or whatever, the words that you use are really important. And the challenge in in this with the different generations or just people who maybe hear that word trauma or, or the phrase little t trauma or whatever, immediately their eyes are rolling and they're, you know, that it's, it's difficult. That's a challenge to try to communicate these truths to people who you don't know what the, you know, what terminology is going to trigger them or whatever. Even the word emotional can be loaded for some people. Yesterday, you know, I was trying to talk about leadership and depending on the audience, um, you know, we talk about emotionally smart leadership and emotional intelligence and leadership a lot. But I was thinking this group, how am I going to say something? And so instead of saying emotionally smart leadership or showing the benefits of emotional intelligence, it was, you know, the the theory I want to talk to you guys about is that we become better leaders by becoming better human beings. Yeah. And where do you learn to be a better human? There's plenty of places to go learn how to be a better manager and a better leader. But wow. who talks about the human behind the leadership? Mm-hmm. And and then I moved them in. I wrote an acronym yesterday morning and uh, tried it out on Ashley who's with us today. And I was like, should, should I try this? And it was soul. And I thought, so really what I want to do is put the soul back into being human. We've taken the soul out of leadership and out of being human and soul. The acronym I use is, um, self others, us leadership. And it was really leadership is the last of the, of, of the platform. I can't really lead until I do some work on me and understand mm-hmm. me. 
um, self. Uh, I can't really influence others until I understand and better empathize with others. Hmm. Others. If I know me and I know and understand others, then I can understand how others and me interact with one another, yeah. us. And so I didn't say all the little part in between I'm filling in now, but I just said, think about self, others, us. And if we can get those three things right, we can yes. do leadership in life really well. God, that's great. So that, that leads to the second question, because these are the two things I think so much about this space. So one is like how, um, how there's some dissonance with older generations and trying to have those conversations. I think especially with people who have done therapy and you're trying to kind of explain it to your parents or trying to sort of like engage in that, it can get tricky because they're kind of like, Ooh, these are scary words to me. Or, you know, it, it can just be tricky, which you spoke to. Well, with parents, for example, it can feel threatening. Yes. Cause they're, they're like, very well, well said. especially what did I do wrong? Yeah. Why, yeah. why do you need therapy? Which is always a really fun conversation after that. <laughs> um, second question I had, and you just spoke to this is, you know, therapy is that is is also tricky because it can so quickly turn into a self-focused cycle. Like, yep. and I know you you guys on the front line see that so much, where you can someone does it, and then all of a sudden it becomes a little bit of like we can turn into me monsters. All of us can, yep. right? And so, what are what do you think? Or and I think this is you speak about the church and sort of Christendom. I think this may be one of the biggest problems with therapy and how that space sees therapy is kind of like, you know. Well, it just turns these people into like everything is self. I'm working on me and I'm doing my work and I'm doing, you know, which are great things. And to your point, like you think about that's, that's where we do need to start. But, you know, how, how do you like, what are healthy disciplines? One is a question I was going to ask around doing self-work so it doesn't. And then when do you feel like this is probably a weird question. That's what, when does it turn into too much? Like, when is it? You know, where you're kind of like, I mean, I'll never forget sitting with Al Andrews <laughs> years and years ago. And we had, we had met and, we, and literally he was like, I think, I think we're probably good for a while. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, and I was like, I think I agree with you. But like, there's a, there's a time to kind of go like, hey, now we engage with others. We engage with us. We can get, you know, we, we turn out there. So I guess those two questions, like one, what are the disciplines to make sure we're not overdoing it? You know, we're not too sort of self, we're staying inside ourselves for, for too long. And then two, when do you know, okay, this is it's I've, I've, this is too much of this practice for now, or I've sort of examined enough to then turn outward again, you know? Sure. Well, the, the first one is a real challenge and it's, it, as I say, it comes with the territory. Like I talked about trauma trending to where people know about it now, and it's more culturally accepted therapy and counseling. Definitely the same. It's, it's become way more culturally accepted. More people are talking about it, which is such an advantage. And, it's hard to go on social media and not hear somebody sharing <laughs> every deep, dark secret they've ever had. Mm -hmm. And it's, and, and I think it's a, an authentic, genuine attempt most of the time. But I also know that we're humans and, and humans that build their profession and their livelihood around influencing other people have recognized what people want. Mm. Pastors, speakers, orators, authors therapist, uh, and then just everyday people who have pop, pop culture influence, they realized if I share vulnerability now, that's trending mm, and yeah, I yeah. can get, I can get more eyes, more shares, more feedback. Yeah. And that's where it gets a little bit dangerous. I think we've got to constantly assess ourselves and make sure our agenda and our motive is right. And I've done it, you know, early when I first started speaking, I would be up there probably oversharing mm. and getting affirmation from it. That was an amazing talk. And then I have to, you know, I look back years later and see or hear a talk and I'm like, man, that seems like that was more about me 
than what I was trying to offer the audience. And I think it's just a learning experience. The beautiful thing about starting with understanding yourself and how you impact other people is that the more you stay on that, uh, the more you become focused on the other people and less on yourself. Mm -hmm. But we can fall into that trap. I've done it. We all do it to where you learn self and how to self analyze and you just study your belly button all day. Yeah. And, and that, that does become dangerous because it creates a bit of a victim mentality Mm. of you. You're constantly feeling like something has happened to me. Something's wrong with me and how do I get better? And, and I think people can get stuck in that Mm. as far as, when you know you're ready to take a break and or I graduate from a season mm-hmm. of doing mm-hmm. self-work, I don't think there's a black and white formula for that. I think there's an instinctual knowing uh, that either you or the guide that you're with should bring to the table. Unfortunately, Al's a great example. When even you just said, you laughed and said, I want to tell you a story. And you mentioned Al's name. I laugh without even knowing the story because <laughs> we both share a friendship with Al. And I figured something awesome was coming. But uh, he, you know, he's, he's a seasoned guy. He's a great counselor. He's, he's just a great human. Mm-hmm. And he, in his mind, the last thing he would want would be dependence on him and his craft. That's a great word. So yeah. he looks at it like this is a win if I get somebody to where I think they're ready to go do life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And not everybody's there. There's a lot of, and that's okay. I think there's a lot of therapists on the way up that are like trying to preserve their practice and their business. And the longer they would see it more, the longer somebody's engaged with me, the better. Mm-hmm. And there's data to support that too. But I really admire the the seasoned folks that can, can kind of yeah. push somebody out of the nest yeah. a little bit. Uh, in, Back when, pre onsite I ran a residential program for young adults that treated addiction, trauma, and eating disorders. And I was new to the eating disorders field and really trying to learn as much as I could, as fast as I could. I just knew there were limited resources, and it was a very big issue that not a lot of people were talking about. Got the highest mortality rate of any mental illness, Mm -hmm. and people don't Mm -hmm. know that. And so we set up this 10-bed program, residential program, treating young adult women with eating disorders and brought in some experts that knew how to treat it. And after analyzing the program for about a year, we were doing great treatment, but we'd over-curated the bubble to where they had no life experience. And then when we followed them on the back end, they were in this super safe environment, and then they go back into the world, Mm. and it was way too activating and overwhelming, and our results weren't great. And so we retooled it and thought, we need two months into treatment for them to go to the grocery store, for them to go back and engage in life because that's as therapeutic as anything. So Mm -hmm. I've learned over time that just because we want to create psychological safety, we want safe people, but I've learned that safety doesn't really exist out there because we're all human and we're all a mess. Safety Mm -hmm. exists in here in Mm -hmm. ourselves. And as long as we can focus on that, we'll never refine it unless we go test it out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Do you, do you find that in all your experience now that you, have do you feel like it has distilled down like you're able to kind of take a bird's eye view of us human beings and our behaviors and our trauma and our brokenness does it to you does it feel like oh i'm i can see these simple patterns like i like or is it like no it's just as complex as it was on day one you know what i mean that's a what a great question. I, I I've not had to think about it before. I don't think I've been asked it, but I, I would I would think as I step back and reflect on that, even momentarily, I do think I've evolved in season to where I I see people in the world differently 
based on my lived life experience and my profession. Mm-hmm. I'm not as quick to judge um, others. I'm human, so we judge all day long. Right. That's how we survive. But I'm not as quick to do that. I'm not as quick to engage in sometimes if, you know, I also run a business that employs two, 300 people. And so when you have that many people, you've got inherent drama, you've got challenges, you've got cultural issues. And, and you'd think that because we do what we do and we work in the human behavior, we've got it all dialed in and get behind the curtain. We, we, we're just human like everybody else. And so when I experience that, and sometimes it's at me because of my leadership role, I, I used to be quick to go talk about it, you know, negative experiences with people. And and now I'm, I'm not as much. I feel I don't feel the need to because sometimes mm-hmm. that's healthy. Sometimes it can turn into mm-hmm. gossip or drama. Yeah, that's the right. meeting after the meeting kind of thing. Right. <laughs> I've, I've noticed that um, maybe in seasoning and maturing and just experience that I have much more of an empathetic disposition on humanity, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's a great question. Yeah. Okay, so last question for you. Um, we had... Stephen James on forever ago, and he said something. I, I, we pretty sure Stephen said this, <laughs> or John said. <laughs> somebody really was. Um, but this idea that we can only take our kids as far as we've gone ourselves. You know, could you speak here at the end a little bit to to us and to our listeners who most are parents? Why is it so important that parents get therapy? That parents sort of um, uh, do the self work. Hmm. I I really feel. And, and, and we've said that for years at Onsite, too, with our clients. Like, we're not willing to take you anywhere we haven't gone before. Mm-hmm. And as it relates to, to, to kids, I think it's been and is the most important thing we can do mm-hmm. is wow. to pursue contentness in our lives. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily joy, happiness, just, just content with, mm-hmm. with who we are. And will we ever fully arrive there? Some claim they, they can. Uh, I, I don't know. I think there'll always be just a little bit of disdain in our lives. It's just the human experience. Mm-hmm. But I think if we are after pursuing the best version of ourselves, it makes the parenting job a lot easier because they're picking up on what they see and what they feel more than what they hear. They're going to yeah. remember what they hear, yeah. which is is kind of nice because I never know the right thing to say. Right. Mm. And, and yet if I can show up the best version of me, I do think they pick on it, so pick up on it. So I, I fully agree. There's, um, recently just a, a quick story. I, uh, I guess it was a month and a half ago. I had to, uh, put down, uh, arguably I, I would put her as the best friend I've ever had. Mm. She was my, uh, just companion, little, uh, blue healer. Mm. And she lived a great life for 13 years. She went with me step for step everywhere. Mm. And when she started losing her hearing and her vision, she had to come home. So when I went home, she still went with me step for step everywhere. But it was when I walked in the door, it was the first thing that greeted me. And then everywhere I walked, every room, she followed me and she watched me. If you know that Australian breed, you know, they do that really well. She always had an eye on me and I, I didn't realize the impact that had on me until she was gone. And now that she's gone, I realize that's the most attuned I've ever felt. Hmm. Uh, and if I can think of the number one gift we can give people who've gone through stress, adversity, challenge, which hello, every kid we raise goes through it because their brain's not developed. They don't have the ability to process emotions like adults do. So everything's going to blow them out. Hmm. That's, uh, that's difficult. The best thing we can give them is, I think, attunement. Uh, mm-hmm. We can be with them, understand them, pay attention to them, connect with them. So much so that I think my dog taught me unconditional love, taught me um, 
attunement and taught me and regrounded me in my faith because mm. I think I think that's the way God looks at me, mm. the way mm-hmm. my dog took care of me. But now it's left a gap um, enough that when I walk in my house, we've got hardwood floors, and I, every room I go into, especially in the evenings, I hear her paw prints mm-hmm. behind me, mm. and I know she's not there. Uh, but sometimes I just I'm not ready to bear to turn around and face that she's still gone. But one the part I wanted to share with you with just the the setup of that story is that um, I love nature. I'm obsessed with um, a nature and aesthetics. I love things to look really pretty. And I, uh, y- y'all haven't been out to our place. I hope you'll come out and have lunch with me sometime. And our campus, I really want everything to be in place. And when mm. you see it, every blade of grass is in place. I want people not to worry about anything and just to see beauty all around them. This is something I love. I love hospitality and aesthetics. Well, I want my house to be that way too. So I spent way too much money on my yard last year. I mm-hmm. uh, got irrigation and sod and uh, yeah, new landscaping and blew the budget out, like doubled my budget. And as I was doing it, I knew I was doing it. And I thought, this is not a good idea. I don't need to spend this much money on a yard. And then when it was done, I stood and looked at it and I thought, I'm so glad I did it. <laughs> I love it. Until my my mostly blind, deaf, now past dog um, peed in the most prominent spot in my yard so right out the front door where every single person sees it and where i see is every day is where she chose to pee which we know urine kills grass mm-hmm. especially new grass so i have a five by foot dead spot in the very center of this place that i invested so much on and it became such a thorn in my side that for the whole last year of her life we had conflict every morning <laughs> i tried i tried to train her to pee in the mulch no chance. She just kept peeing in the same spot. To her, it made sense. It's like, it's the closest spot. Yeah, I can't see. Here. I can't hear. What are you doing? But I kept, ever, we'd go out, same routine, 6, 7 in the morning. She'd go out there and pee in the dead spot. I would be like, Dakota, dang it, you're killing the grass. Call the landscape. Can't do anything, you know. And uh, and now, two months, or a month and a half, two months after she's gone, every morning I go stand in that dead spot. Mm-hmm. And I find it to be the most beautiful thing on my property. Mm. And her last lesson for me, I think, is a lesson that I'm trying to pass on to my kids, which is the thing, the thing that I see that may not appear to be the prettiest and may rub me the wrong way may be the most beautiful thing. And I'll never know it until I don't have it anymore. Hmm. So all the little pieces I'm seeing in my toddlers developing that drive me crazy, that make me feel like a terrible dad Hmm. sometimes. I'm like, what am I messing up? I'm now seeing them like the dead spot in my mm-hmm. yard. Mm-hmm. And as that spot starts to grow back with grass, I'm finding myself wanting to go get some Roundup. Hmm. It's interesting that all I wanted was for it to go away. And now all I want is for it to remind me every day that there's beauty in the broken things. Golly. Wow. Jeez, man. We need to put out an extra episode that is just that story. And we need to put <laughs> it out every day <laughs> indefinitely. <laughs> Miles, thank you Dude, so much. You're the man. On. Thank but you hey, for the work you're doing, too. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Y'all make it easy. This was a fun conversation. I'd do it if we were recording or not. It was well, just, we did. great so to be with you guys. need to do it one more time. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> Take two. Here we go. Take two. <laughs> <laughs>